0: Great trial lawyers should be great storytellers, but how do you remember everything you need to and look confident while doing it?
1: I still stand in front of my mirror and talk and and practice my closing argument days before I have to give it.
0: I'm Stephanie Francis Ford, and today I'm speaking with Billy Martin. He's a high-profile Washington, D.C. lawyer and a veteran of more than 150 jury trials. When we return, Billy will share some tips with us about how to remain confident and be persuasive. Without relying on notes.
1: This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next. Folder sharing on Westlaw Next enables you to tap into previous research across organizational boundaries like never before, saving you time from reinventing the wheel. Learn more at westlawnext.com.
0: I've heard that occasionally, Billy, a lawyer might read his or her closing statement or other parts of their trial. Um, I'm going to assume that you don't do that. Am, Am I correct?
1: Oh, you're absolutely correct.
0: Okay. How do you remember what you're going to say?
1: Uh, Some people may have photographic memories, uh, but I think that the key is preparation. I begin learning my case and what I want to say to a jury uh, long before I step into that courtroom. Uh, It's a story, and how do you tell that story to a jury without them thinking that you're reading a book? Uh, So my key was first, even if you type it out, Type it out in bullet points. Type it out in phrases. Type it out in just words uh, so that if you have an outline and you're going through your outline, you're able to occasionally glance down and recapture your thoughts if you should lose them. Uh, So it's like a crutch. Take a crutch in there, but don't use it until you really need to.
0: Is it kind of like if you were going to, if you know the case so well, you could have lunch with a friend and tell them about it succinctly, just from the top of your head? Is that sort of where you want to be, keeping in mind that also, of course, you have to preserve the appeal? That is
1: exactly the way that I do it. When I try a case before a jury, I will walk out uh, to the jury and begin talking to them as though I were speaking to a colleague or there are. If I were speaking to a judge without a jury, you want them to feel that you have such control of the facts and the law of your case that when you're talking to them, you're not just sharing thoughts with them, that you are actually telling them what the facts and the law are, and your hope is that they accept what it is that you're telling them.
0: And you mentioned the outline with bullet points. Is that something that you spend, even though you know the facts of your case by the time it's ready to go to trial – you spend a lot of time just reading that outline?
1: I spend I, – I, I read that outline of mine uh, up until the point the jury is in the box and I'm, and I'm going through closing arguments, uh, so absolutely. If you can learn the contents, if you, even if you write it out, and I do write my uh, closing argument out so that I can tell the story in my own mind, uh, my mind's eye, I see uh, the story, So I write it out, and then after I write it out and I have almost memorized it, I go back and put it in an outline form. And if I should ever feel as though I've missed something or to have the jury believe and have the jury feel uh, that I'm so well prepared, I will oftentimes go back to my notes and let the jury see me looking at my notes, even though I don't need those notes. But I want the jury to feel that I'm not shooting from the hip. I'm not trying to just say what's on my mind, but this is a well-thought-out and well-prepared exchange with them. So occasionally I will go back, because I think the jury understands they've heard a lot, and having notes does not offend them. So I do let them see me occasionally go back to my notes.
0: Can you give me an example?
1: Absolutely. And I, I what I would say is, ladies and gentlemen, by way of example, ladies and gentlemen, we, we have, this is a securities trial case, uh, and you heard the the, the the amounts of money involved. And I'll go back and I'll pull out a uh, a note and, and just let them look at it. Uh, and they I think that will help a jury feel as though this is not just some made-up number. This is the number that we heard in the trial. And you can confirm it. On Tuesday, you heard Witness X uh, tell you that there were $10 million uh, at issue here. And, you know, you'll see them start nodding. So occasionally, it, it, I think it is good for uh, a juror uh, to see counsel going back and referring to the notes. I, I will also, when I'm trying a case, if I have, have co-counsel, I'll go to the co-counsel, or I'll go to my co-counsel, and I may say, you know, have the jury look to say, excuse me, let me check that fact. <laughs> I, know the, I know the fact, but I want the juror to say he's checked it. That is actually the facts of this case. Those are the facts of this case. So, there, there, there are a lot of, it's, it's, it's a lot of style, uh, but the whole key, uh, when, when we began, what I normally say when I, when I provide talks on uh, trial practice, my whole theme is preparation, preparation, preparation. And you want the jury to, to really believe that you are so well prepared um, and so confident in your facts that that preparation, that confidence uh, is shared with the jury and they pick up on that confidence.
0: Do you have advice about things one can do? Sometimes when you're making sure you preserve the appeal, it might put the lawyer in an uncomfortable spot. How can you make sure you're thinking on your feet to preserve the appeal and not appearing flustered when you do it in front of a jury? What's your advice on that?
1: Well, I think what I do is you start perfecting that appeal during the trial. And the issues that you were making, Uh, You you go through and you you, you make your record, and you understand what the issues are uh, at trial that may may create an appellate record for you. So you preserve those at trial with the court. Uh, And for the jury, I, I think what you really want to do in closing arguments is not make anything that you do in your closing argument any potential for an appeal because that's problematic for you. Uh, yep. but if you if you have made your record with the judge up to that point, i don't worry about my appellate record in closing arguments, except that that's the time that counsel makes uh, may make a mistake, and your mistakes may become either ineffective assistance uh, issues or uh, malpractice or any any mistakes uh, in what you say. so you want to be very careful uh, in, in how you argue in closing argument. Uh, but your, your record should have been perfected uh, before you began closing arguments.
0: What if a surprise comes up? It, I'm, it seems like if you're well prepared, you can try to avoid surprises. But I'm going to assume that's not always possible.
1: You know, there, one, of my, uh, uh, one of my associates at my firm uh, was trying her first case with me, and we had hired a private investigator uh, to go out to take a picture of the home of a witness. And our, our theory was that he's living in this multi-million-dollar home, and the jury should know that this is, he's not he, that money is not an issue, and that he's been you know, given money uh, by uh, witnesses, uh, and he's unemployed. So the whole theme was, look at this man who's unemployed, living in this multi-million-dollar home." Well, the investigator goes out and he takes a picture of the, of the home, and on the witness stand, I have the witness, and I say, "Tell the jury how are you able to afford this multi-million dollar home? And the man looks at the at the picture on the uh, screen in the courtroom, and he says, that's not my house.
0: <laughs>
1: so that is the ultimate surprise.
0: <laughs> yeah, what did you do? <laughs>
1: what I did is I looked at him and I said, that house is identical to yours, isn't it? you live next door to that house? Yes, I do. And does that house look identical to yours? He said, yes, it does. And I moved on quickly. That was the biggest surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the whole key is not to allow the jury. You are going to be surprised, and you have to learn on how to think on your feet. Uh, uh, your ultimate you think key is – a big
0: part of that is confidence, because I think some people would be like, oh, crud, and they'd start to stammer. But you have to confidently say, well, does your house look like that,
1: the, and that, move on.
0: The whole yeah. key is
1: confidence. The whole key is not – you know, the commercials where you, where you hear them say, don't let them see you sweat. Yeah. So the whole key is let, not to let the jury see that this is a mistake. You can say, That's, that house looks just like yours, doesn't it? They're all the same house. Does your house cost $2.5 million? Yes. And then move on. Um, you mm-hmm. have to learn to take one. It's like a, a, a blow to the solar plex. Take it. Uh, catch your breath, but don't let the jury see you uh, kind of flustered.
0: And on that note, have you seen sometimes where lawyers, they might get too emotional in trial? I don't mean as part of their presentation uh, because they do, they do get upset about that. And how can you control that?
1: The whole, that's, it's very difficult, and I, I think it, it's only experience uh, that helps you uh, really overcome that. But, even I've, been in, I've, I've seen lawyers who have been trying cases 20, 30, 40 years uh, who will get flustered. The whole key is to remember the jury is watching you. The jury takes its its clues uh, on, you know, when to laugh sometimes and when to feel uh, the pain for your client um, or to feel some disdain for the, your adversary. Um, so they're really following uh, you. If you. If they see that you're flustered, if they see that you are uh, confused, uh, they lose confidence in you. So the whole key is to put it a trial mask on, which is not your face, which is why it's it's difficult for your emotion to come through at all times. You pick key moments to let them feel that you are outraged, or you are excited, or happy uh, for something that your client uh, has done, or you want them to believe your client has done. But normally, you have to pull yourself back, and your emotions should be removed from uh, that trial, uh, except when it will make a difference and benefit your client.
0: How do you decide which trial mask to put on?
1: (laughs) Very good question, Uh, because the trial mask that that I think of uh, is totally contingent upon uh, the jurors who are seated in the jury box. Um, If you have a, you know, living here in Washington, uh, we sometimes have two, three, four lawyers uh, in a jury box if it's a federal trial. I might have four lawyers sitting there, and the same mask that I might wear uh, in Chicago uh, would not work before this jury. So you really have to, and and, and we use a lot uh, of jury consultants uh, to kind of tell us, uh, first, the type of juror that we would want, the the model juror, uh, the type of jurors that we do have in this case, and what is the message or theme that might resonate Uh, With this particular uh, jury, so the mask is totally contingent upon the jury that you've selected.
0: You mentioned the number of people uh, at at the at the table, Um, and I'm curious because I do think some people they might think, well, if I can bring a lot of people with me, that's going to make me seem like I'm a more I'm a more powerful lawyer. But I. I'm not really sure that's the case, but I'm curious if your experience, where you went from a large firm to being at your own firm, you probably – I'm going to guess maybe you never did, but you probably don't put like 10 associates on a case,
1: right? I would never – I may have 10 associates on a case, uh, but I would never have 10 people in the courtroom with me. And the reason for that is you do not want the jury uh, to believe that uh, your client has so uh, much wealth or so much money uh, that they can buy. Um, their freedom where they can buy the outcome of a case. So even though, and I usually try to have one lawyer uh, at the table with me. Now, there may be other lawyers seated throughout the courtroom, and even when I want to, if I have an associate uh, who has worked on some of the cases that we do white-collar investigations and a lot of uh, foreign corrupt practice issues, so you clearly need a lot of people who are examining documents. Uh, So if one of the people is in the courtroom, um, I may have my co-counsel, I'll give them a note and ask them to step out, take the associate out in the hallway, uh, get the answer. So the jury really only sees two of us uh, communicating. Hmm.
0: Um, and I'm curious, if you come across an opposing counsel who seems kind of stiff and uncomfortable in the courtroom, is that kind of an indicator that he or she is going to be easy to roll or not necessarily? Can those people be um Sleeping lions and very hard to beat. Well,
1: uh, that they could be all of the above, and uh, if they are too stiff and you are too fluid, uh, the jury could feel sorry for your opponent. So I I, I think you want to. uh, It's a fine line uh, between uh, that you have to weave uh, to make your case without putting down. Uh, your adversary. Um, So I I try to find a way, uh, if my client is not uh, gifted in the courtroom, I really try and find a way to distance myself and let the jury see my style of lawyering versus versus the other style. Uh, But you don't want to be uh, mean-spirited about it. You don't want to uh, mock the other lawyer. Uh, But you can uh, show that we know what we're talking about without telling them we know what we're talking about, and opposing counsel uh, does not. There are also times that I may say, to, if I find counsel making a mistake, and I get a chance, I would say, you know, ladies and gentlemen, counsel is wrong. Do you remember the witness actually said the following? So when you, if he's wrong or she's wrong about those facts, can he be wrong about other things? So if you can use that to your benefit, but it, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword. You should be very careful. Uh, if you go after opposing counsel.
0: Okay. So, and it sounds like sometimes maybe you have to appear not as good as you are.
1: Sometimes you have to appear not as good as you are.
0: <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> I guess that's a problem not everyone has. But <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's everything I wanted to ask you today. Did you want to add anything else?
1: No, I would just say that uh, the, 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 I think the key to real effective litigation uh, is the is word you use when, on one of your questions is confidence. And if you have to stand in front of that mirror, uh, when I, I mentioned that I've been doing this for almost 40 years, I still stand in front of my mirror uh, and talk uh, and, and practice my closing argument uh, days before I have to give it. So get used to talking um, so that you feel comfortable and that when you walk into that courtroom, you feel as though I've done this before, I have been here, and I'm ready. And for the new lawyers, uh, Everybody makes mistakes in those first few cases. Learn from your mistakes and benefit from it.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Stephanie, thank you, and good luck to you.
1: This ABA Journal Podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, powered by WestSearch, the world's most advanced legal search engine delivering the best results in seconds. Learn more at westlawnext.com.